The title of today's talk is The Thought, I, Me, and Mine. And I'd like to begin with a um, cartoon, a Calvin and Harms, Hobbes strip. Well, Cal Calvin is the little boy and Hobbes the um, tiger, the stuffed tiger who's stuffed only when parents are in the scene. Um, and, of course, no parents are in this scene. And it begins with... Um, Calvin in a little wheelbarrow and Hobbes pushing him at a really fast pace so they're kind of like zipping through the, 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 the woods and the trails and the, the hillsides um, and uh, Calvin says, it's true Hobbes Ig ignorance is bliss and then he continues to talk um, as they're going through in between these windy trees and paths and scrub brushes and rocks and boulders um, once you know things, you start seeing problems everywhere. And once you see problems, you feel you ought to try to fix them. The next hill. And fixing problems always seems to require personal change. And they zip around the corner. And change means doing things that aren't fun. I say fooey to that. And then Calvin turns around and continues to speak with Hobbes as Hobbes jumps into the, um, the wheelbarrow. And they're, they're continuing down this, 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 this hill. He continues saying, If you're willfully stupid, you don't know any better. So you keep doing whatever you like. And they're swishing along. The secret to happiness is short-term stupid self-interest. And now they're just closing their eyes. And, they're, um, and Hobbes, Hobbes says, We're heading for that cliff. And then he closes his eyes like that. I don't, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> and they go way off this cliff and, and splashed out on the ground with this broken wheelbarrow and stars everywhere as, I'm not so sure I can stand so much bliss. <laughs> Careful, we don't want to learn anything from this. The Sufi poet, or no, sorry, the Indian poet Rumi said, What good is knowledge if it doesn't lift you above yourself? And so insight knowledge is not just to inform ourselves about our peculiarities, our personalities, the particular patterns that we are so familiar with, but it presents the possibility of lifting ourselves above, going beyond this limiting self our limiting self-interest. The process of eye-making and mind-making is one of the critical investigations that we undertake in meditation practice. So how do we do this making of I and mine? How do we shift from our bare experience in a moment to the experience of possessiveness, this is mine, or identification, this is who I am? Many people are surprised to look into their minds because what we see is very often the relentlessness of thought. Sometimes beginning meditators think that meditation is making them think more, but really we're just seeing the thought process more clearly. We see our thoughts, the habitual trains of judgment and comparison, worries, desires, self-concepts, perhaps more clearly than we see in our daily life, perhaps more clearly than we've ever seen before. And it can be shocking. 
most of us probably wouldn't want to admit to half the thoughts we thought today. And chances are most of those were about yourself. Drama after drama, we keep ourselves in the starring role. Perhaps it's a tragedy, or a comedy, or a documentary. Perhaps we're the victim, or the hero. Yet what is it but a cluster of thoughts? The Korean Zen master Chinul taught his disciples, don't be afraid of your thoughts, only take care lest your awareness of them is tardy. We may hear our own story over and over again with slight improvements at the end, telling ourselves who it is we think we are. Wei Wu Wei said, why are you unhappy? Because 99.9% of everything you think and everything you do is for yourself, and there isn't one. As we observe thoughts, we begin to see the conclusions that we draw about ourselves, the way the mind forms opinions and judgments and concepts about everything. Sometimes we can have opinions about things we've never even experienced. Or we might weave an interpretation of the event that's actually quite far removed from the actual fact of things. If we experience pain, we might conclude that we're a weak person. If we see obsessive planning, we might think, I'm the controlling type. If we see tension, we might conclude that we're an uptight person. If we see judging, do we have the belief that we're a critical person? Are we always that way? What about the other times, the times when we're joyful, when we're peaceful, when we're serving, when we're tranquil? Do you wake up in the morning and wonder, who am I today? Sometimes we're cranky, sometimes we're bright and brilliant, sometimes we're fearful or open-hearted or hurried or dull. Which one is the real me? You know that TV program that was on a couple of decades ago when I was growing up to tell the truth? Will the real me please stand up? Will the real you? Which one would stand up? Often we say that I am this or I am that. We might say I'm a meditator, I'm a teacher, I'm an artist. Or we might, as, uh, when, we, when we connect with our activities or our roles, we might say, I'm a daughter, or I'm a mother, or I'm a brother, or I'm an uncle. We might say, I'm thirsty, or I'm restless, or I'm anxious. If we connect with the momentary feeling experiences, we might say, I'm angry, I'm happy, I'm grieving, I'm frustrated, I'm short, I'm tired, I'm ill, I'm strong. We might identify with roles, with activities, or with the momentary experiences of the body, of the senses, of the mind, of the emotions. But are we really these things? 
what is this I am that precedes the this and the that? Can we just be without being this or being that? What would that be? As we investigate our experience and look into our minds, we see simply what the mind does. How does it construct I and mine? Without making any more of the experience, without making any more of the thoughts, without believing that conceptual overlay to experience, we investigate simply how the experience occurs and how an experience of mind and body gets construed through the distortions of identification and possession. How do we miss the simple bare reality of the present moment by being wrapped up in a story that we're telling ourselves about the present moment? You might notice sometimes that rather than experiencing the experience, it's almost as though we narrate the experience to somebody who isn't here, or we tell ourselves about it, or we compare it to past, or we anticipate something that it will transform into, rather than just open to, in a very simple, direct, and honest way, open to what this moment brings. In our momentary experience, we begin to see how so much more gets added to the experience than just the simple experience of seeing or of hearing or of smelling or of tasting or of touching or of thinking. How do we create this I and me story? Too often the whole of our lives can seem to be reduced to an obsessive pattern, an obsessive um, entanglement. Perhaps it's me and my pain, or it's that relationship, or it's this job, or it's that trauma, or it's my success, or my desire. We might tightly grip the personal content and be blinded to what's actually occurring right in that present moment. We may not see the vastness of the silence that we abide in. If we're lost in our own narrative, entranced by who we think we are, absorbed in the world of thought, constructing who we want to be seen as, we are entertaining ourselves in a fabricated conceptual dimension, in the fantasy of our lives, disempowering ourselves to see beyond the realm of what the discursive mind might conceive of. When we become aware that we're preoccupied with thinking, that the mind is drifting from one fantasy to another, from one story to the next, from one image of ourselves to another, we can ask ourselves a very simple question. Are thoughts real or are they just thought? If I think of a dinosaur, is it a dinosaur or is it a thought? 
Well, we might say, of course, it's not a dinosaur. There hasn't been a dinosaur around in a long time. So it can't be a dinosaur. But what if I think of a problem or a conflict? Is it a conflict or is it a thought? What if I... Well, it could be anything. What if we think of anything? Do we attribute reality to that experience or do we know the reality of the thought arising? When we're aware that we've been entranced by thoughts, involved in that conceptual fabricated layer of experience, rather than just drop it and return to the breath like some kind of, um, I don't know, rubber band that's been overstretched and we bounce back to, um, to the experience of breath, take a moment to first realize that we were involved in thinking. Use that moment for a brief, but decisive investigation. Know what was actually happening. Oh, that was judging. Oh, there was an involvement in fantasy, of anxiety, of remembering, of analyzing. Really know the experience of thinking. What is a thought? And what is it about our relationship to that thought that is so seductive that it would take us away from the bare experience, the profundity, the vibrancy of actually feeling ourselves alive in this body, in this moment, whether we're walking, whether we're eating, whether we're sitting. We know the thought and we know our reaction to the thinking. It said that there was a, um, an artist monk who um, spent many, many years practicing in a cave. And um, this meditator liked to meditate as well as um, paint. And so in his years in the, in the cave, he would um, paint images on the wall, kind of like petroglyphs, but with a little bit more detail and a lot more color, I guess. Um, and so he was painting and painting and painting, and he decided he wanted to paint a tiger. And so he painted this beautiful tiger with all of the stripes and the whiskers and everything. And at the, just as the painting was coming to completion, and he put the little sparkle in the eye, he stepped back to admire his work, and he screamed and went running out of the cave. <laughs> he terrified himself with his own fabrication. And so often we scare ourselves with our own creations. We paint an image in the mind of something that's happened before or something that we are afraid might happen. And then we react emotionally to that image that we've created ourselves. Through mindfulness of thought, we begin to see how ephemeral and how rapidly changing these mental fabrications are. What's more ephemeral, what's more impermanent than a thought? You might notice that the topics can actually shift. It might feel like we're obsessing about something, but if you look closely, you may not be obsessing about the same thing for five whole minutes. It may just be that the feeling of obsession pervades one topic and then goes right into the next topic and then leads into a whole other topic. But actually, you could have been obsessing about things that occur in four different countries at 
several different time planes with people who have never been born yet. Um, it's quite amazing how um, quickly thoughts can change and how sometimes it seems like the associations are logical or trace backable, but sometimes they're utterly bizarre. They make no sense at all. Sometimes we may cling an opinion and hold a, a view very strongly. And somebody tells us then later, because we often don't notice it ourselves, that last year we were arguing for the opposite point of view. And somewhere along the line, our thoughts changed. And yet we continued the vehemence of the argument and just shifted the, um, the viewpoint. We look into our relationship to thoughts. An insight into the workings of thought has the great potential of loosening the grip on the story of me. Releasing the hold on the personal tales of who we are, what we were, what we want to become, what we did. We can loosen our entanglement in the thought world rather than try to eliminate thought. Thoughts are actually not a problem. But are we entangled by them? Are we seduced by them? Do we give them greater reality than they are due? Rather than giving the reality to the energetic formation of a thought, a thought arising, we're giving reality to the fictional dimension of the story when we're seduced by that process. In meditation practice, looking into our minds can sometimes be quite shocking. Sometimes it can be quite humorous. But if our obsession with thoughts is so urgent and important, then why can we switch topics and then obsess about the next one with such equal urgency? The content of the proliferation, that level of story, is not important. We look and experience that movement of thought itself, that energetic movement of thought, that force, that wave, that habit. Until we see how it is we invest stories with the belief that it's really me rather than just a story, then we'll be lost in our dramas. It's like going into a movie theater and being so absorbed in the drama that we think that it's happening to real people. But a film of a storm doesn't leave the screen wet. Robbers are not leaving bullet holes in the screen in a cops and robbers movie. And romances certainly don't really leave people happily ever after. We forget that it's a fictional representation. We get seduced by the story. Um, a couple of verses from Emily Dickinson, 19th century poet. I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They'll advertise, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How public like a frog. To tell one's name the live-long June to an admiring bog. In meditation, we can broaden the sense of who we are beyond the limits of our personal content, 
our individual stories and experience the touch of something vaster, vaster than my stuff, my issues, my personal past dramas, and my personal future dreams. The Tibetan teacher Kiense Rinpoche said, however strong thoughts may seem, they are just thoughts and will eventually dissolve back into emptiness. Once you recognize the intrinsic nature of mind, these thoughts that seem to appear and disappear all the time can no longer fool you, just as clouds form, last for a while, and then dissolve back into the empty sky. So deluded thoughts arise, remain for a while, and then vanish in the voidness of mind. In reality, nothing at all has happened. I'm sure that there are times when you've all been aware of thoughts, aware of the machinations of the discursively driven mind. Were there also moments today when you were aware of the absence of thought, the space between thoughts, when there's a lucid, clear, and wakeful presence, an awareness free of the proliferating tendencies of the discursive mind? These glimpses may occur in meditation. They may occur while sitting or while walking or while biting into a peach, or when we're simply relaxed in our daily lives, perhaps glancing out the car window, or waiting for a bus, or are sitting at ease in our backyard. They can occur in the context of formal meditation practice, or in a context that is apparently without any spiritual focus or effort at all. These uncontrived glimpses beyond the discursive mind give a taste of what freedom is possible, that a freedom that is undefined by the discursive and conceptual mind, the mind that tries to grasp what could never be grasped and hold what simply cannot be held. When we do not see this fundamental fact of emptiness, we lose ourselves in the movie of our life, grasping after the things that we desire just because they're pleasant, and avoiding the things that we dislike just because they're unpleasant, spending our days moving between pleasant and unpleasant, getting more of what we like and less of what we don't like. Haven't we done that enough? tried to get more and more pleasant and less and less unpleasant, more and more pleasant, less and less unpleasant. It seems like if we thought about it, we might actually think maybe there's another motivation that we might like to inspire the movements of our activities. And certainly there is in each of you, or you couldn't have come on this retreat. My teacher in India, Punjaji, used to say that people are like waves in the ocean. 
if we're, if we're grasping a concept of self, that concept of self arises just like a wave in the ocean. And sometimes we can feel it almost like this wave of being this or being that seems to arise. But the waves are never not ocean. If we're identified with being the wave, being any particular formation of being this or being that, then we might be scared that we'll be crushed when the wave lands on the shore. And it would be like little waves talking to each other. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to be destroyed. What can we do? Can we try and do this? Can we try and do that? Can we try and avoid this unpleasant thing and get more pleasant thing? And maybe... And all of the, the, the busyness of life. And yet waves arise and pass, but are always undivided from ocean. They're never not ocean. We are never separate from the truth of things. So notice the thoughts that arise with separateness, with, with mindfulness, because they bring the illusion of separateness. Also notice the freedom from the preoccupation of thoughts, those moments of recognizing the emptiness of things, the simplicity of things, the interconnectedness of things. Thoughts are only concepts, and yet there is a knowing beyond the rise and fall of concepts, beyond what words can describe and what the intellect can grasp. The Buddha gave a sutta that's called the 44 Names Sutta, where he used many names to point to what cannot be defined in any words, to point to the unconditioned. And I'd like to read some of those. um, I'd like to read part of the sutta. Because though they're just words, they point beyond definitions, beyond the limiting, defining function of concepts. And I like that there are many, because no single word can describe it. Sometimes if we recognize a diversity of, of words, of descriptions, they help act like pointers. We don't so much have the sense of, I'm going to cling this, I found it, and make that it is the unconditioned, or it is the, um, the um, unborn, or it is the um, peaceful, and just cling that one thing, and then that one word we turn into a concept. Sometimes by just recognizing the diversity of, of concepts, sometimes by recognizing the diversity of thoughts that flow through one's sitting, we um, can open to a dimension that's not limited to grasping those concepts or being identified with those thoughts. The Buddha said, cessation of greed, of hatred, and of delusion is the unformed, unconditioned, the end, the taintless, the truth, the other shore, the subtle, the very hard to see, the unweakening, the everlasting, 
the undisintegrating, the invisible, the undiversified, peace, the deathless, the supreme goal, the blessed, safety, exhaustion of craving, the wonderful, the marvelous, non-distress, the naturally non-distressed, nibbana, non-affliction, unhostility, fading of lust, purity, freedom, independence of reliance, the island, the shelter, the harbor, the refuge, the beyond. The exploration beyond the realm of concepts will ask us to venture into unknown territory where we may not find the confirmation of the story of me. So I invite you to drop all concepts, to release the hold or the identification with concepts of past, the memories of all the fascinating or painful things that we did or happened, to release the concepts of future, all those brilliant plans and delightful fantasies that we cherish for what may come next, to release the concepts of self, our self-image, the way we embellish our experience through its relationship to us. The concepts of what our experience should be like, what a retreat should be like, what a sitting should be like, what a meal should be like, what the weather should be like. Sometimes we come in with expectations. I encourage you to let those go and open to what actually is in this moment without needing to compare one sitting to the next or what's happening now to what we believe should be happening. Expectations, comparisons, demands. Sometimes we place so much pressure on our experience to be a certain way that all we experience is pressure and not the experience of whatever way it is. We have the opportunity to kind of loosen the stuff around our experience so that we can drop into, oh, what's actually happening now? Oh, there's heat. Or, oh, there's moisture. Oh, there's pressure. There's vibration. There's hearing. There's delight. There's tranquility. There's restlessness. There's frustration. There's irritation. There's impatience. There's thinking, there's memory, there's da, 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 all the various experiences. See if we can be with what's actually occurring and let some of the extra that we build and embellish our experience with dissolve away so that we can come in to the experience of what's happening now. What is happening now? Do you feel your body? Aware of hearing? Aware of the quality of listening? Recognizing just the simple aspect of how we listen. 
Are we listening with comparisons and judgments and trying to figure it out? Are we listening with some openness, some desire, some wanting something? Are we allowing the words, where are we allowing them to touch us? There are many ways of engaging in any experience. And we can let ourselves be present with our experience, with awareness, aware of whatever's happening. As we drop into the experience of presence and open to this moment here and now as it is, not because it's great, but just because it's what is, we enter in to the experience of being present and alive. We enter the, un- the unknown, which is this moment. It's never been known before. And the unknown now is this moment. It may not be the same way that the last moment was. We can enter this unknown free of concepts, fresh, alive, awake, unburdened by the past and unadorned by self-image. I encourage you to drop all concepts, even the concept of what non-conceptual realization will be like. Tsongkhapa said, enlightenment turned out to be the opposite of what I had expected. (laughs) (laughs) Let's sit for a few minutes. Drop all concepts. What is naturally known in the simplicity of this moment? mind tries to figure out what to do with the present moment, what to make of it. Drop that effort, let it go, and open again to just what is. not needing to manipulate the present moment for the benefit 
of our self-image, just dropping into presence, simple, unadorned, May we each open to the unfolding of our lives, genuinely free of expectation and distortion. May we have the courage to look into life and to realize the nature of things. May we come to rest in the beauty and grace of this present moment. May we be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.